Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Good to see you. It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining and God is good. Uh, let's stand. We're going to get started with worship. Let's stand if you're able. Let's raise our voices.
Father, you brought joy to the world. What sacrificial love you have shown to us through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. You made a promise from the very beginning to bring redemption, and we praise you, Lord, for being a promise keeper. We praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your steadfast love that has carried through the ages. We pray, Lord, that you would bring us to a sobering recognition of the, of the gift you have given us through salvation in Jesus Christ. Through repentance and faith in him, you have given us your love for eternity. We pray your love would shape us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We pray it would humble and cultivate kindness and generosity toward others. 
Lord, help us to think of tangible ways to show your love to others in this season. We pray you would continue to fill our hearts and minds with the truth of your astounding love for us. And may it bring purpose and intention to this Christmas season. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Thank you so much for being here to worship God with us this morning. Um, if you're here in the sanctuary in person, you got a bulletin when you walked in, and um, uh, on one side of that bulletin it says Christmas Eve. Christmas is next Sunday, um, so if you didn't know that, you know, head over to Macy's afterwards and, and get your shopping done. Um, uh, that means Christmas Eve is on Saturday, so uh, join us at 4 p.m. We're going to have a candlelit service. We'll have hot cocoa, cookies, um, and lots of good singing. And, um, and it'll be an awesome time to just uh, celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus. So um, please join us. Invite your friends and family. You can actually tear this card off and use this as an invitation. And there's a QR code if they want to um, even read a little bit more about the service. So, And then on the bottom under that is a, um, a prayer request card. You just uh, write your name in, uh, uh, email, and a prayer request. Um, no prayer is too small or too big. Um, there's nothing you're going through that's that's, oh, that's not quite good enough or quite bad enough to put on the prayer card. So, um, so let us join you in prayer and, um, and just join you in lifting up what you need and, and what you're thankful for to God. Um, and then on the other side, there's a, a connect card. We just love to um, uh, get you an email with what we're doing at the church, um, uh, the activities, the events happening, um, uh, and we don't spam you. We just send one a week. Um, so you can just put your name, uh, email, and phone number. And then on the bottom of that, if this is your church home, we're just asking people to consider what they might give in 2023. Um, so this is uh, uh, for you you know, committed, long-time um, uh, folks who, who think of this as your church home and just want to help us plan 2023. You can just write down your, um, your, uh, what you plan to give in, in 2023. And then this uh, nifty bulletin rips in half um, really smoothly. Um, <laughs> and then you can drop it in the, in the box on your way out, and you can keep this part to, to invite someone to Christmas. So um, thank you, and let's continue worshiping with the sermon. You know, when Drake gets up there and starts doing that card thing, I'm ready for some like close-up small magic, because he's so good at it. He's just, he did that whole thing. By the way, how does such a small church make such great music? I am so appreciative of this worship team, wherever they went. Uh, they went out to have a smoke, I guess. But anyway, they're, they're fantastic the way that they, they lift us up to the Lord. And uh, this place will be packed full of people next, uh, next uh, Saturday night. And so get here early. You don't have to get here at 3, but I wouldn't get here at 4. I'd get here a little bit before. Uh, you know, our service starts at 9.30. 
Most everybody thinks it starts at 9.40, so uh, don't do that on, on Christmas Eve. There'll be three venues out here, over there in that room, and then here. It's just such a wonderfully festive time. Uh, bring somebody with you. Uh, it'll be great. Uh, wow. Uh, we're talking about Advent, and we're talking about the joy that God brings into the world. Uh, what are some of the things that create joy in you in this season uh, of the year? As you think about your whole life, what are the kinds of things you could say, oh, these things always bring joy to me? Uh, they could be smells. Oh, the smell of that, that smell of cardamom or cinnamon or whatever somebody's baking with. Um, the visuals, you know, all the colors, all the decor, all that, all those neat things. Maybe it's the music. You know, it, about, it finally starts to kick in for me about the 10,000th time I've heard a Mariah Carey song. I start to find really understand what's going on. No, but uh, there might be songs that you don't hear very often. Uh, certainly not at the mall. The kinds of songs that you're going to hear next week, you're not going to hear them at the mall. But what is it that triggers joy for you? Uh, because that's one of the main features of Christmas. It's this joy that God brings into the world through Jesus Christ. Now, he made the world to experience joy. So every human being can say, well, wait, I don't need Jesus to experience joy. No, of course not, because God wired you that way. God created you to have joy. But if you start reading the Bible in the first two chapters, you see this beautiful world created. And by the third chapter, you're thinking, this is a really tough read, because I'm only two chapters in, and it's gone really, really bad. And the rest of the book is saying how God wants to restore the joy. How God wants to restore the joy. There's a phrase that's now creeping into our culture, and it's a British phrase. It's a common phrase you hear everybody say in, in England. If, um, if, if, if instead of saying, is there good news? Hey, any breakthroughs in the case? Any, anything you know, good to celebrate? They'll just say, hey, any joy, any joy, any joy. Uh, here, I, I noticed it today, uh, this week in the newspaper. Somebody said, yeah, talking about something, said, ah, oh, no joy. I thought, man, isn't that interesting? Joy is such a main feature of what we want out of life. Sometimes you want to settle for happiness, which is great, except for happiness is tied to circumstances. Nothing wrong with happiness. I want to be happy. I want everybody I know to be happy. Um, but circumstances don't always cooperate, do they? So happiness is a bit more ephemeral. Joy uh, is like those ships that go up through the ice, and in a normal situation, you go, oh, whoa, dude, there's ice. Let's turn this thing around. Those ships go, hey, there's ice. The fun begins. We're going we're gonna to power through the ice. You know, that's what joy does. It allows us to recognize circumstances, embrace them, uh, not be necessarily happy about them, but to say, I have joy because I've come to a place where probably only God can get me through this. We say this a lot, you know, the theology that says God never gives you anything that you can't handle is such bad theology. What God does is give you things that are way beyond your capacity to handle, and then he meets you there and says, follow me. I'm going to take you through this. We're going to get through this. Uh, because life keeps reminding us that we're missing something, which is God. I keep thinking, no, it's more money, more time. Let's wait. I, whatever it is. You know, I, mean, it, it's, I can think of all these circumstantial things in me, around me, that would make life better, uh, that would make that missing feeling go away. The fact is, I could have all those things, and I will still have that missing feeling. This is one of the great tricks of life, you might say. One of the great disappointments of life. And having lived my entire adult life in um, Pasadena, San Marino, working in San Marino, 
arguably one of the wealthiest enclaves in Southern California, uh, living in Newport Beach for 14 years, and now La Jolla for 27. I've seen a lot of people who could probably check every box off saying, once these boxes are checked, we're good to go. And at the end of that list, all the boxes are checked, and they will still say, but there's something missing. And this has become so common, so trite, it's a cliche. But when we start thinking about it, uh, we start getting in touch with, yeah, life can be such a major disappointment. And probably the greatest one, I mentioned this last week, uh, right after worry is boredom. Boredom. There's a lot of bored people in wealthy enclaves. Um, and something's missing. And it, what's missing is God. But, but the word of, of Advent, of Christmas, of the Bible is rejoice. Rejoice. God in Christ is with us to save us. And in a few moments we'll break down that, that phrase, with us and save us. Uh, because that's, that's what comes together to create this joy for us. Um, and our hope and our joy is rooted in the promise that God is with us in all circumstances. And this is one of the great conundrums of life. Why does God allow me to go through these circumstances? Why didn't he protect me from these circumstances? Either things that I chose to do or things that were done to me. Um, I don't know. I, we really can't answer that question. But what I can say is that God promises to be with you, be with us in all circumstances, now and forever. Nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God in Christ. So Joseph is an example of this. I want to talk about Joseph today. Uh, he's a major minor character in the biblical Christmas story, right? We would love to know so much more about Joseph. Maybe he was a strong, silent type. I don't know. Um, but I think maybe what we'll find out is he fulfilled his mission and didn't need to say much about it. Um, which is probably true for us. Every day notable people die, and maybe when you hear about these notable people dying or all the things they've done, you think, I am such a non-starter. I'm such a slacker. What have I done? I have nothing to compare to. Uh, the shock of everybody I know who's gone to an elite university and when they, they, they sit into that first class uh, at that, on the East Coast or up in Palo Alto, uh, they have this shocking, kind of a sinking feeling that, oh, no, I am no longer the smartest kid in my class. There's a lot of depressed kids going to really elite schools thinking, I can't believe it. I had the privilege of being the only nerd in my school. No, the, I had the privilege of being the smartest kid. I was the one who got to get up and, and give the speech uh, at graduation. I... And all of a sudden you realize, I'm surrounded by all these people. Um, wow. Well, so Joseph is an example of this, as he deals with some extremely challenging circumstances. He fulfilled his mission, and nobody had to know about it. He didn't need to be pointed out as, you're the most awesome guy he's ever, you're the greatest husband, you're the most wonderful father. Nobody standing next to him probably in his life said, oh, why am I standing next to Joseph? It makes me feel like such a loser as a dad, as a husband. We don't know that. We just know that he was a guy that showed up and fairly anonymous, a little bit we know about him, and, and his, his contribution rocked the world. Um, as my friend Doug Ament says, the world is run by B students. Don't forget that. The world is run by B students. Uh, when it gets really out of whack and gets really screwy, they all move to Washington, D.C. All the A students move to Washington, D.C., and it's a mess. Nobody can sort it out. Um, so... Joseph is an example of this as he deals with some extremely challenging circumstances. And so I admire Joseph. I mean, I admire Mary. By the way, we need to be admiring Mary. Uh, one of the 
crazy things in the Protestant tradition is to be really scared, really nervous about honoring Mary because we, we don't want to worship Mary. Um, you know, Mary's title is Theotokos. It just means God's mom. God's mom. It really means, it, it really means when we say it, it's G, she's Jesus' mom. But also when you say God's mom and then flip it, Theotokos, God, mother, mother of God. The mother of God? Well, if God is sinless, she must be sinless too. And so you've heard of the phrase, the Immaculate Conception. You'll see a z- during football season, you see a million replays of the, Imma- the Immaculate Reception. <laughs> Franco Harris catching a ball, bouncing off of another player's foot and going in for Pittsburgh, you know, happened a zillion years ago. No, the Immaculate Conception is not a reference to Jesus. That Jesus was born um, immaculately without sin. It's about Mary. Immaculate conception is a theory about Mary to say, see, Mary was sinless as well. And it's a crazy extension, rational but irrational, rational, logical but not rational, to say that Mary was also sinless. Something amazing happened uh, in Jesus' birth. And so Mary was an amazing woman that we ought to be, we ought to be honoring, not necessarily worshiping. Likewise with Joseph, we ought to be honoring these people because they, were, they did what God had called them to do. Because they stand for every person who nobody notices or knows is there, who's doing what God wants them to do that we need to honor. Uh, so next time you read an article about some awesome person who did some awesome thing, just say, you know what? They're standing in for me and everybody I know. He's trying to do the right thing in the right way all the time. And that's what I admire about Joseph. He really wanted to do the right thing in the right way. Don't you? I think all of us want to do the right thing in the right way. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned last week a friend who's been doing this program um, voluntarily up at, up at uh, San Quentin Prison. Grad- just graduated 42 guys through this program. Um, every one of those guys had done some horrific stuff. They wouldn't be in San Quentin for jaywalking. You know, It's serious stuff. But every one of those guys would say, I always wanted to do the right thing. When, and when the right thing didn't work, I did the next thing. And when that didn't work, I did the thing after that. And pretty soon I was reduced to doing things I never thought I would do. The first, the first hit of heroin is awesome, right? The second, not so much. By about the 50th, you'll sell your children. You'll, 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 you'll betray everybody who's ever loved you and cared for you. You'll steal, you'll rob, you'll sell your body, you'll sell your soul. Why? Because you lose that perspective of um, what it means to do the right thing in the right way. Every one of us wants desperately to do the right thing in the right way. Sometimes people get the idea that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, you're all losers, you don't deserve it, but God loves you anyway. What we're saying is, no, God's come for people who he made in his image who are desperately trying to do everything the right way. It's in them to do the right thing in the right way, and it's just out of reach. And when they get it right, it's awesome, but it doesn't last. Something goes sideways. Or even when they're getting it right, they're thinking, oh, no, no, something's going to go wrong. I know it. This is fine now, but it's not going to work out like this, for, you know, et cetera. This is what our, 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 our situation is, our desperate situation. And I admire about Joseph that he wanted to do the right thing in the right way, like all of us. But I also admire this about Joseph. There's something else even more substantial and significant that I admire in Joseph. He wanted to know and do God's will. Wanting to do the right thing in the right way sounds like I want to know and do God's will. They're different. If you want to do the right thing in the right way, you won't necessarily know or do God's will. 
But if you know and do God's will, you will do the right thing in the right way. You see where that goes? There's a sequence there. We're going to unpack that a little bit as we look at, jo- at Joseph's life. And so just as Mary submitted herself to trusting God, so did Joseph. One of the most awesome things about Mary is that she submitted herself to the Lord. After hearing the angel's message, it was like, maybe the Lord's will. Remember Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He gets the word from the angel who's in the Holy of Holies. And the, and the angel tells him this epic thing, you know, you, this infertile couple is now going to have a son named John. He's going to announce the good news of the coming Messiah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Zechariah's response is, how do I know? <laughs> well, I'll tell you how you'll know. You won't be able to speak until the baby's born. How's that? Well, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, how will I know? Um, Prove it. Mary submitted herself to God to trust him. And Joseph did this too. Does that describe you? Are you at that place yet where, first of all, are you sorting it out, do I believe in Jesus or not? And said, maybe having believed in Jesus, are you still kind of going, this idea of submitting to God just sounds so restrictive and, um, I don't know, submitting to God, I, I like God, I believe in God, but submit to God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you yielding yourself to God? Stuff doesn't grow in a garden on a tree out of the ground if it's going, I'm doing my own thing, man. I'm doing my own thing. You do fruit your way, I'll do fruit my way. No, it's got to be the branches abiding in the rest of the plant. And this is what it means to know and do the will of God. We're going to get to that in a moment too. But so here's the thing. Both Mary and Joseph learned to trust God. Everybody has a yearning for God. That's a given part of humanity. But how do we then learn to appropriate that. Uh, it's the difference between, we said many times, trying and training. I'm going to try to run a marathon right after church. I'm ready. I'm, mentally, I'm just ready. And right now, you're so kind, you're not laughing out loud and shaking your head. Because you're going, dude, you are not ready. In my, no, it's, it's in mind over matter. What the mind conceives, the rest... No, man, you need training. You need serious training to go with your trying. And this is what Joseph and Mary did. They had learned to trust God. Uh, what practices would have shaped and guided him and them? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I have never thought about this before. Uh, but this week as I was reflecting on this blank page in front of me, thinking everything I've ever said nine times about Christmas, everybody else could say it as well. What is there left to say? Maybe we should just have a few more songs and I could just sit there and go, hey, you know, good, have a great song. I'm with you, man. You know. uh, so here it is. Here's the big bombshell that hit me. How did Mary and Joseph get to be where they were to get the message that they got and do what they did with it? Were they just trying to be nice to God? Or had they been in training for this moment that they never in a million years would have imagined they'd be in? This is why preparing is way better than planning. Preparing is way better than planning because plans change as, as, as that great pontificator of deep truth, Mike Tyson, said. Everybody has a plan until they get in the ring and then no plan. It's survival and you're praying for a bell. He didn't say all that. That's my commentary. Preparing, though, is that I don't know what's coming, but I'm going to be as ready as I can for it. So here's the big bombshell. I'm going to read you a passage that will sound so obscure to you. But this is the secret sauce to understanding Mary and Joseph, okay? It's out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
verses 1 through 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel before Joshua leads them into the promised land. So that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. Wow, this is a multi-generational thing he's giving, he's giving to the people of Israel. And so that you may enjoy, you collectively and all your progeny, may enjoy long life. Hear Israel. Maybe you've heard it said this way, Shema Israel. Shema. This is the great Shema. The, the Shema imperative. Listen up. Hear. Don't miss this. Shema Israel. And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And again, he says, Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yehovah Ehad, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's an all-encompassing relationship that is transformational. The formation of this content results in a transformation of one's character. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Dad humor does not impress children. I hate to admit it, I'm saying it publicly for the first time. What impresses children is dad's paying attention to them. Dad, watch. Dad, do this. Dad, hey, come over here, let's do Same thing with moms. How do parents impress their children? They're curious about them. They're interested in them. They don't impress them when they dote on them, try to save them, try to control them, try to protect them from bruises and bumps and disappointments. But children are impressed by parents when they see how their parents handle life. They see how their parents deal with life, and kids, without even the words to articulate it or the capacity to explain what they're seeing, internalize it. It becomes operational in them long before they understand the inherent meaning of all the words thrown together by moms and dads and grandparents. Impress them on your children. How? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. <clears throat> so talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. Oh, I get it. And when, and when you lie down, I, it makes sense to me. I'm just going to be doing a constant ongoing lecture to my children about what they should do. Now do this. Now remember, in this situation, you do this. Now what happens if this happens? What will you do? The kids are like, oh gosh, tune me out. I don't want to hear one more thing. This does not impress me. It depresses me. I don't know what it is, but I know the word depressed sounds like it fits. Here's what it looks like to talk about this with your kids. Wow, you know what happened to me today? I almost lost it and throttled somebody. Dad, what does it mean, throttle somebody? I almost strangled them, killed them. Dad, I'm just over-exaggerating. I'm just telling you I lost it. Emotionally, I just came to the end of my rope, and I, I was about to say something I'd regret, and what happened? Did you say it? I was so close to saying it, but what I did instead was I said, Lord, help me to reframe this and come at this in a fresh way. And so I said what I needed to say, but I said it in a way that I would hope that person could hear it and receive it. Kids are going, what? I'm impressed. 
When you send in those prayer requests on things that are outrageous, and, and, and Drake said, hey, it could be the most outrageous thing, it's okay how crazy the sin is. You know why he could say that? Because when the people who are not gossipers, they're just praying for stuff, when they see it, they go, oh, dude, me too. Totally, I could have done that. I'm completely with you on that feeling, on that, I've been in despair, I could have killed myself, I could have killed somebody else. I'm praying for this person. See, the people praying for you have empathy and understanding because they understand who they are. Does that not impress you? I'm always impressed with people who want to pray for me because they want to minister God's grace because they've experienced it versus you really need this. And they treat you like a project instead of saying, we are peers. We are peers in pain. <laughs> and, and the kingdom of God calls all of us to get to respond to our pain in a way that's actually productive because Jesus took that pain to the cross with him. That's why he came into the world. So this is the power behind Mary and Joseph. This is what impressed them and penetrated their very being. Their, what did it penetrate? Heart, soul, strength. It shaped them to the point that when they stood in front of some epic, overwhelming things that nobody had a category for, they could have easily discounted it and said, I'm going out of my mind. I'm having this vision, this encounter. I'm pretending that there's an angel speaking to me or you know, whatever. Instead, they said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Another great Hebrew phrase, hineni, here I am. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So what practices are shaping you? If these are the practices that shape them, what practices are shaping you? And how will you shape your family with these practices in a way that doesn't feel oppressive? Oh, dear God, my father wants to have a family Bible study. My parents want to have a devotional time. Oh, no. But rather... Whenever I'm with my mom and dad, we have the goofiest, most fun, and interesting conversations because they ask interesting questions. They tell, they tell interesting stories about themselves or about life. They ask me what my life's like. They don't make me fall into that yes, no, don't ask me kind of a I don't know mode. This is hard being a parent. It's hard being a parent that in, in, encourages dialogue and conversation versus one-way communication. Very, very hard. And most of us as parents feel like we're losing that battle. Until our kids get old enough to say, you know what I like about our family? And you're hoping anything, you know, <laughs> something. Uh, it's that, you know what, we did this. It was like this in my family. I could talk about this. I could talk about that. I could, whoa. Not a perfect family, but a functioning family. This is a functional description. The Shema is a functional description of how to be a family, a community, how to change the world. So what practices are shaping you? Joseph and Mary learned to trust their Heavenly Father from their earthly parents. So did Jesus. Where do you think Jesus got his stuff? From the Shema. Well, he was God. He didn't need his stuff. Well, then why did God put him with parents? Why not just show up fully formed and go, hey, I'm the Messiah. I just showed up. I got three years with you. Why did he spend 30 years, perhaps, or 27 or whatever it was, leading up to this? Because God wanted him to be fully formed based on what God had told the people. Are you with me on this? Is this making sense to you? It was like a, a, a big breakthrough bombshell for me to go, whoa, I've never thought of this. I, I believe this. I've just never linked the two in the way I'm trying to describe, perhaps inarticulately, right now. So Jesus got this from his mom and dad. Joseph and Mary got it from their mom and dad. I believe Jesus learned to trust his heavenly father by watching his earthly mom and dad. I'm just depressed. Every parent or 
every parent here with children or children on the way uh, are thinking, oh no, this is a little late in the game for me to get this. And so we see Joseph applying his love for God in his relationship with Mary. We see this in Matthew. We get the remember the Christmas story, Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2. So here in um, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, uh, uh, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, this is, I, I wish I had more time to spend on this, but basically, there's a big deal made about the virgin birth. Uh, and, and all of that is toward the, the view of discounting it. Uh, and I'm saying, if, if Jesus could rise from the dead, why is a virgin birth a big challenge to wrap your head around? Um, you have these two genealogies, they're endlessly debated, you know, they're different. Uh, one is purported to be Mary's, one is purported to be Joseph's. Um, the, the early church embraced this. They didn't make, funny thing, they didn't make a big deal about it. There's only four chapters in the whole New Testament that talk about it. And it doesn't talk about like, you got to hear this. It's more matter of fact, well, this happened and then it happened. So that's so matter of fact, hey, this is how the birth of Jesus happened. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then, it's like, whoa, whoa, stop on that part right there. My mom and dad told me it was not birds and bees or the Holy Spirit. It was, and I won't go into it. And this was a very big deal because Joseph then had a right, though betrothed, to say, I'm, I'm going to publicly shame you. And it could go very badly for you. Like your life could be over. But here he is. Well, why would he do something different? Oh, that's right, the whole Shema thing, darn it. I mean, shaped by God himself. Ah, no outs here. And so here's Joseph saying, wow, I love this woman. I can't believe this is happening. It's not the Mary I think I know. What do I do? I don't want her to be publicly disgraced. She, maybe she made a mistake. And so I'll just do what I can and move on with my life and let her move on with hers. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. If he'd been trying to be a righteous guy, he would be afraid and he would do exactly what he thought to do. But because the Shema had been internalized in him, he could hear and receive this message. He was prepared. He wasn't planning to. He was prepared to receive this message. Do not be afraid. To take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because, all, because he will save, all, save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And this is a reference to Isaiah uh, chapter 7, verse 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So this to me, this has been a, small group, a joke in my small group for 20 plus years. 
whenever we get around to talking about this, we all start laughing. You go, he should be called Emmanuel. And so they named him Jesus. Like, was there a disconnect somewhere in the messaging? I mean, we have a failure to communicate. If he's supposed to be called Emmanuel, why did they name him Jesus? Well, the fact is, think of Emmanuel as a title. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the, is the, is the bright morning star. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the great physician. You see where I'm going with this? Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And what kind of Emmanuel is he? Uh, he is the Emmanuel Yeshua. He is the God who saves. He comes with us to save us, not to shame us. He comes near us in our shame to save us from it. So now do you understand? This is why he's, he's called Emmanuel and he's named Jesus. And we don't know how Joseph heard about Mary's pregnancy. It doesn't go into the details. You know, hey, uh, I got a message for you. I can't tell you how many girlfriends they had in junior high who I never really ever spent time with. I just, we just had a relationship through notes conveyed to their friends. Someone still likes you. Oh yeah, I like her. Now we're going out. Now we're together. We're, we're going together. Long day of, of delight, delirious happiness, only to find out that she's broken up with me by four. <laughs> or she's weeping. Why is she crying? Well, because she doesn't think you like her anymore. I haven't, I haven't talked to her. Well, that's the point. You never talked to her. Yeah, but we're going out. You know, we're, 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 we're a couple, you know. We don't know. Uh, but we do know that his plan was to be faithful to the law and compassionate toward Mary. He wrestles and anguishes with how to do it given the circumstances. Wouldn't you? Yes, you would, of course. Uh, years and years and years and years ago, I was a seminarian and a kid that, uh, in this Young Life Club that I led when I was in college. I got messages that this kid and this girl who had grown up in, the, in, a, in a church that I was going to had gotten together and dated, and they were going to have a baby, and they were a long way from thinking about getting married. And, uh, wow. First thing, her very successful believing in Jesus, businessman father said was, that's it, that's over, you're going to get an abortion. Every parent has that thought. And if, if they say, I've never had that thought, well, they weren't, they weren't then, you're not being honest with yourself. Let's just minimize and get rid of this, get rid of this problem. Well, they went through a long series of conversations, and of course, the dad comes to his right set mind and goes, well, hey, wait, what am I talking about? And the couple says, you know what, we could give this baby up for adoption, we're going to get married. So, that's, I'm in seminary, and my comment was, you know, hey, that, that, do that. I was in the middle of an ethics class taught by one of the greatest ethicists in the 20th century, Lewis Smedes. And I use this as a paper to say, this is, you know, how to approach this. So it was, it was a very defining moment for me thinking about this stuff. And they went on to do that. Well, now fast forward years later, I am uh, um, in, in the village at a church as a pastor, and... Um, this strapping young man comes up to me and he says, hey, I'm a student at UCSD. My mom and dad wanted me to come by and say hello to you. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, guys, it looks like I've seen this kid before, but I don't know. And he goes, I said, what's your name? He tells me his name and I, my eyes just fill up because it's him. Ah, I said, whoa, it is so good to meet you. You don't know how good it is to meet you. Wow. And he's this vibrant young guy, believes in Jesus. He's, you know, he's, anyway, he was powerful. Joseph wrestled and anguished with this. Who wouldn't? But he was told in this dream not to be afraid, and he's given assurance. He trusts God and takes him at his word. God gives him peace and shows him a better way. 
God always wants to show us a better way. And we always want a better way. But then how do we get to that better way? This is the big conundrum. And this brings us back to this whole idea of God's will. God wants us to desire his will. He wants us to discern his will. And he wants us to do his will. Those things go, three things go together. Uh, you can desire things and not ever think about them enough to know what to do with them. But he wants us to do uh, his will uh, by discerning it because we desire it. And this happens naturally in a relationship with him. It's not some spooky kind of a thing that, you know, I'm waiting for a message, you know, from God and I'm not going to do anything. What it says is in the normal course of a, of a relationship, the people you spend the most time with, you would almost be able to, to, to answer for them in any situation what they would do. You know them so well, you'd know, oh, this is what they would do in this situation. Might be some variations on a theme, but I know what they would do here. Can you relate to that? If you know somebody so well, they would know what you'd want to do. They'd know what you want to eat. Oh, they don't, he wouldn't want that. He wouldn't like that. That's what it's like to know God's will. We know him so well. So desiring God's will is saying the prayer that Kathy led us in, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's an expression of our desire. This is what I want. I want to do the right things in the right way. Starts there. Attitude. Discerning God's will is learning and knowing his word well enough to align with him. You know, that's, God's word says that doesn't work. Don't do that. That's a Shema thing. I've already been instructed in this. Feels really attractive to do what I feel like doing, but this tells me that would not be a good outcome. And finally, doing God's will is acting on what you know about him and his purpose for the world. And, and it's okay that in doing God's will to, to go, ah, that was a false trail. Let's back up and try this. See, so doing God's will is not this ultimate guessing game. It's a you know, uh, zero-sum thing, in or out, all or nothing. It's I'm moving toward discerning God's will. Sometimes you get right, right on. It's just that you know. Other times you go, wow, this, is, this has got a lot of moving parts. I think we got this part right. What about now this new part? So, so this is a developmental process of baby steps. Small strides, big leaps. We grow up into our capacity to live wisely and righteously because we're being shaped by God. We're not perfect. We're being perfected. We're being fully developed by God. And therefore, righteousness isn't a reward we give to people when they treat us well. I know enough now to grant you righteousness. What happens is righteousness just becomes part of who we are, no matter how other people act. I, I tell you what, there's a big gap in my life between that. Maybe you know that too. I believe so many things about righteousness. I know so many things about righteousness. And my capacity to be righteous and not be selective in the way that I grant it, you know, somebody does something wrong, I want to say, that's so wrong. Don't do, you can't do that. That's illegal, immoral. You know, that's my money. You promised. You, you can't, you know. And, and that's true. At the same time, I have to say, you know, am I embodying the righteousness God is developing in me no matter what everybody else is doing? And so this developmental process of doing God's will is allowing us to move into the world and engage it without fear or hesitation, but with wisdom and discernment to say, I don't have to be you to get my way. I just need to be me in him and make my way through this world, working with what I got. It's how we engage the world regardless of how it treats us because that's who we are. So Joseph was being himself. He was simply being Joseph because he'd been in training, right? Trying isn't enough. We either rise or fall to the level of our training. You know that. We rise or fall to the level of our training. 
And the neat thing about training is that it'll, it sets you up because you're preparing to do things you never thought would need to be done or that you could do. Innovations, breakthroughs happen because people have been preparing, and all of a sudden, boom, a new way of seeing the same old, same old. And everybody looks at each other and says, are you sure this is okay? Because why hasn't anybody done it if it's, if it's such a good idea? And you find out that you're the one who's doing the breakthrough thing. We've been using leeches forever. Do we need another medical treatment? Somebody says, yeah, I got an idea. And now, think about it, we use leeches again. Because somebody said, hey, actually, leeches could reduce a lot of bruising and blood coagulation near the... Blah, blah, blah. So thankfully, Joseph... Uh, was wise and humble enough to listen and trust God's messenger because he'd been immersed in Deuteronomy 6. Meanwhile, God does provide wise counselors to help us process life in real time. Maybe you'll have angels appearing to you in dreams. Probably not. Why do you not usually have angels speaking to you in dreams? Because Jesus is better than the angels. The, the opening words of Hebrews says, hey, Here's, you know, God has spoken to us through prophets and priests and kings. He's spoken to us over ages. Now he's spoken to us through his son, who is higher than the angels, better than the angels. So somebody starts talking about, hey, you know, you needed a visitation from an angel. You go, no, I really don't. I need to just do what Jesus has already said I should do. And his Holy Spirit is leading me and guiding me. I don't need angels. But if God chooses to send an angel to me in a dream, I will pay attention. Then what I will do is discern it based on what I know about what Jesus has said and done and what God's word says. You follow me? So be open to signs and wonders of any sort. Just be wise and discerning about what they are. It might be the enemy trying to head fake you. It might be a person well-intentioned trying to confuse you or impose on you a really substandard theology. But meanwhile, uh, Joseph challenges, uh, Joseph's challenges continue after Jesus' birth. The Magi come to visit. Now, the, Jesus has been born. Eight days after his birth, you know, they go from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to the temple. Two older people confirm this amazing thing, and they say some things that are really kind of odd and mysterious. One of them says, now I can die. Well, okay then, because what God has done has been fulfilled, etc. Then, within a two-year period, the Magi show up, and of course, you know, they talk to Herod, this evil, despotic, crazy, literally, you know, losing it. Uh, he died of very bad things. Uh, and so he now says, gosh, what a great story. I'll talk to my guys. His guys say, yeah, this is supposed to happen. Hey, love to meet the baby. Worship him. Let me know. And, of course, the Magi go to find the child. They, they're, they're informed. Don't do this. He's lying. He's evil. He wants to destroy the kid. What do you think happens? I have a feeling the wise men gave Joseph good counsel regarding Herod. Be on guard. I don't know what he's going to do, but he was a creepy dude with bad intentions. And so having trusted God, Joseph is now again prepared to continue trusting him when God speaks to him again. When they had gone, when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. What do you think Joseph's response was? Oh, it's you. Oh, hey, how's it going? How's the family? How's it? Haven't seen you in a couple of years now, you know. But anyway, he's familiar. And the angel says, get up. Take the child, get his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He didn't say, how do you know? He just got up, took the child, took his mother during the night, left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. 
when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill, horribly pathetic, all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord again appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, "Um, Get up! Take time to move. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Now this is where an angelic you know, heads up combines with the wisdom that we accumulate from simply walking with God. Because now what does Joseph do? He puts two and two together. He reads the tea leaves. He sees what's happening. And it says, um, But when Joseph heard that Archelaus one of the sons of Herod, was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. Judea is where Jerusalem was. So they're not going to go back to Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Ah, I'll go back to where I started. Full circle, I'm going to go back to Galilee, the northern region of Israel, to Nazareth. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, so it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene and go to PLNU. So this is how we understand Point Loma Nazarene University. It's a full circle. The whole point of the sermon is to say, how did that school get there in that perfect location where you can once in a while go to class but surf every day? You know. So trusting God, what? Produces peace. And what does peace produce? It's just a joy. God's with me. God's for me. This is a horrible situation. I could die. Hey, but there's more life than living in this body as much as I love it. Trusting God produces peace, a deep sense of God-given well-being, a great joy. But it is shaped in the tumultuous circumstances of life. If I was really walking with God, if God was really for me, I wouldn't have these circumstances. No. Because God is for me and is walking with me, these circumstances are what they are and what they will be. I might live, I might die, it might go well, it might not go well. God is with me, God is for me. Emmanuel is with me. Yeshua is saving me. The same person. Yeshua the Emmanuel is with me and for me. I can have joy even when I'm not happy. Can you imagine then how Joseph rejoiced as he watched Jesus grow up into manhood? Wow. I mean, start with the first Christmas. He stands there smiling at Mary and, and Jesus Tears of gratitude wetting his cheeks as, as, as he's nodding his head in wonder while these shepherds crowded into an already crowded house are going, you can't believe what happened. First of all, an angel. Then there's a heavenly chorus. And, you know, and, and they quote. <laughs> and, and the angel says, don't be afraid. Uh, jo- Joseph is thinking, I've heard that. I know that message. I probably know the guy who came and talked to you. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And there's lots of those happening in Bethlehem when these guys showed up. But in this house, that was a special message. And and Joseph's going, whoa. Later, you can imagine, back in Nazareth, where it all started, he reflects on their time in Bethlehem 
at the birth. He reflects at the, on, that, at that, on, on that encounter at the temple, these two old people. He reflects about the time in Egypt and then coming back and going, oh, we can't go to Jerusalem and Bethlehem where our families are. Let's just keep going back to Nazareth. Joseph didn't live to see Jesus' ministry fulfilled. We don't know when he died. We just know what he did. And we know that his heart and his head were filled with these thoughts. And I can imagine him saying, as he's thinking about this stuff, going, Shema Israel, Yehovah Adonai Echad. You know, wow, this is the God who brought me through this. Joseph didn't live to see Jesus' ministry fulfilled, but his faithfulness made it possible. He wasn't garnish on the plate, some incidental presence. He was an essential part of this amazing and wonderful story. So are you. So am I. May this be said of us in this life and long after we're gone, that we were faithful to what God had given us and things happened that we will see signs of and maybe even see some things. I got to see a young man who was there, the child of two people who I had the privilege of influencing and now, today, I see people, I see, talk to people every week, you know, uh, in one form or another that I've known for a long time. I get to see what God's doing in their life. But I don't know what the ripple effect will be. You don't know what the ripple effect will be in your life. That someday, decades from now, somebody's going to be saying, gosh, you know, I heard this lady pray at church. It just it, it, it catalyzed a decision to me. I was in this Bible study. I had this, had this encounter in, in, in preschool or youth group or at work, this guy told me about Jesus, and I kind of was offended at first, and then now I walk with Jesus, and I wish that he was alive that I could tell him. You don't know. May this be said of us in this life and long after we're gone. Why not? I mean, God is with you, right? He's with you. All things are possible in him who is with you and is saving you for such a purpose as this. So, Lord Jesus, we accept this uh, as a comfort and a challenge. We accept this as a purpose and meaning for our lives. We accept this as a mission uh, and a ministry to fulfill. Not because of who we are necessarily, but because of who you are in us. Thank you uh, for Joseph. Thank you for Mary and Joseph as a team, as a couple, as a family. Thank you for all this. And may we learn these lessons well so that we can too be prepared for whatever you call us to do and be uh, now and forever. We pray this in Jesus' uh, wonderful name. Amen. Let's continue worshiping the Lord. Um, time for an offering, not to give money. Please, please give money. Uh, give it in any way you want. Uh, you can drop it off in a little box, send it to us in the mail. Uh, we, we don't work with the government, but we are happy that the government makes it possible through the tax processes for you to get credit for anything you give at the end of the year. All that is good. We love those kinds of offerings. We need it to function. This offering right now is you offering you to the Lord. So let's do that as we wrap up worship and I'll get up and give a benediction, a blessing following that.
God is with us. Are you with him? Are you recognizing him in your life as your savior, as your Lord, as your friend? He's with you. Are you paying attention to him? He's saving you. Are you cooperating in that process? Uh, to the degree we do, uh, worlds open up to us. This world opens up to us. Worlds open up inside of us as God develops us. The world opens up before us as we see it for what it is. His beautiful creation being redeemed by him one day at a time. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If we can pray for you before you leave, go right out into that beautiful little prayer garden. There'll be somebody there who will pray with you. If we can encourage you in your walk with Christ to begin it, to continue it, to take the next step, we will, we'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Get something to eat before you leave and have a great rest of your day. See you on Saturday night, 4 o'clock.